0: distrokid.com slash VIP slash high gain And now Distrokid has an app The Distrokid app is available for iOS and Android You can download it at distrokid.com slash app or in the app and play stores We'd like to take a minute to thank our pals over at Isotope, makers of software and plugins for audio repair, mixing, and mastering. The new gold standard of audio repair, Isotope RX11, is coming in May. Buy RX10 now on sale and get RX11 absolutely free when it's released. We use Isotope products here at the High Gain. It's an important part of how we've been able to bottle pure podcast gold week after week. High Gain listeners get 10% off using the promo code FRET10. That's fret T one zero. That's all at isotope.com. I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com. Hey! We'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Isotope, makers of software and plugins for audio repair, mixing, and mastering. We use Isotope products here at the High Gain. It's an important part of how we've been able to bottle pure podcast gold week after week. And guess what? Isotope offers one free month of Music Production Suite Pro, which has all the tools you need to mix, master, and repair audio. Also, you can get 10% off all other software using the promo code FRET10. That's fret T one zero. All of this is at isotope.com, I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com.
1: Hey, this is Ed Peterson. And this is John Kiltica, Ed. John? Yes? It's the High Game Podcast. It is! What do we talk about? We talk about guitars and such. Bands. Bands. Amps. Amps. Costumes. Ooh, costumes. It's October... Halloween. It's, it's Halloween season. Yeah. Seems like a good time to talk about costumes.
0: I'm going to go as a failed podcast. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Done. Where are we recording from? Oh, we are in beautiful West Seattle, Washington, where it is currently sunny after a morning filled with fog.
1: Yeah, I loved it. I have said I'm not super into the, you know, nine months of gray, uh-huh. but it's October and it was like 86 degrees this weekend.
0: Well, if it's 86 here. Yeah. I shudder to think what it must be down in the warm parts, like Texas. Oh, yeah. We've got somebody here today
1: from Texas. And maybe a little bit costume expert.
0: Oh. I think so. Maybe. Maybe. Zach Blair, guitarist extraordinaire
1: from Rise Against. Maybe Guar. Oh, Guar too. See? That's oh.
0: The
2: that's the costume
1: what, oh. reference. Right. Zach got it. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, Guar was very much costumes. I just actually saw those guys. They were here in Austin on Sunday. They're still family and I still get to hang out with them when they come through. And I just love them all so much. Now there is the sort of definitive Guar documentary it's called uh, This is Guar and I'm an executive producer. Wow. I scored it. I wrote a lot of the music in it. And uh, I'm really proud of it. It just came out so good and you know there's such a history there the band's been around since 86 mm-hmm. and it's basically been this sort of art collective the whole time that's always sort of made this political statement, you know, Guar's not to be taken too seriously, but they're just such an important thing and we're also lucky to have a Where can we find that? It's actually on the Shutter app, you know, the oh. horror film app, but it's on AMC Plus as well. Cool. I'm pretty sure you can also buy it on like iTunes or whatever.
1: How easy is it to play in that getup? It's not easy at all. Oh my God. I see it and I'm just like... Can you see? Can you feel your fingers? Like, it just seems wild.
2: You really can't see. So you have to kind of throw that out the window and learn sort of the whole set blind. (laughs) I had these sort of cheekbone things in my mask. I couldn't see over them anyway. Right. So you really had to get used to sort of not seeing your guitar at all. You know, it's football shoulder pads with hot foam latex and rubber. They get disgusting. I remember a tour where there was actual maggots in the costumes, like breeding and growing inside of the rubber. It's disgusting. You get like skin infections and fungus and it's Uh. awful, (laughs) man.
0: So then, the same way a regular band might have a dedicated guitar tech, did you have like costume
2: wranglers? No, you were kind of in charge of your costume. Fortunately, we had a guitar tech pretty much the whole time, but you're in charge of your own costume, cleaning it out and stuff. <laughs> you throw it into a road case. <laughs> Me and our singer, Odorous your Youngest, which was Dave Brocky, RIP, him and I shared a case and you know you just throw them in this like big box. You know, you're in the South in the summer. It's just hot. The costume was wet with sweat when you threw it in there. It's just a breeding ground for bacteria.
0: (laughs) I want a shirt that says, you're responsible for your own costume.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. It's true. Yeah. So I did that for a while and then joined Rise Against within just a few years, which couldn't have been more of a 180. Then again, Guar is kind of different than any other band in the world, really.
1: Yeah. Is there a reasonable comparison? I don't know. Man, I don't think so.
2: I don't think so. I mean, you know, Guar fashioned itself after Kiss and Alice Cooper and stuff like that. Sure. Even the tubes, to a certain extent, the way that the tubes sort of started out, they were a show, the tubes. They had props and they had, you know, dancing girls. I didn't realize this. I did some research on the tubes because I'm a dork. (laughs) And they used to do this whole big show with all these recurring characters. And so Guar takes it into the stratosphere.
0: Beverages. That's right, Ed. That was a beverage theme song. Hey, Zach, what are you drinking?
2: I have a Topo Chico, the sparkling water. They were made in Monterrey, Mexico, which is where my wife is from. Oh. Now I think Coca-Cola bought them. They're sort of ubiquitous now, but it's always been sort of a Southern Texas thing. And I never was a sparkling water person, but man, I am now. Is it a flavored one? No, it's just a plain one. I like their grapefruit
1: one. Topo Chico is highly rated here at the High Gain. What do you got, Ed? I have a Fever Tree Refreshingly Light Ginger Beer. I do, too. No artificial sweeteners, you know, made with ginger it's peppy exactly peppy yeah and a little cup of coffee
0: i too have coffee
2: i was gonna have a coffee but i didn't get it
1: do your thing there's no pressure here there's no wrong answer to the beverage question
2: i had a coffee this morning though i definitely did that
1: perfect
0: what's the temp down there in austin right now is it like 180
2: it has been pretty gnarly lately but it rained a few days ago so it's actually 66 here
3: whoa lovely
2: yeah
0: The guitar I chose, Ed, you're staring at it.
1: Yep, I'm looking at it.
0: I chose it because most of the pictures I see of you, Zach, show you with some form of Les Paul.
2: Yes. I've been a Gibson guy for quite a while, and they just make sense for what we do in Rise Against. I'm also a fan of the Nash guitars that are made right there in Seattle. Yes. But with Rise Against, I've kind of always used Les Paul's. It's traditionalist, I get that, and it's not exactly very exciting, but I just love them. You know, I go pretty traditionalist with my gear. I find as complicated as things get with profilers and fractals and kempers and all that, I revert even further back to mxr marshall gibson you know totally however for what we do in rise against and all the festivals we play a lot of flying a lot of going to europe to have your rig basically sound exactly the same in your ears every night we're also using the torpedoes which are the cabinet simulators yes so we don't actually have cabinets on stage at all wow. so it's kind of like a gateway drug to profiling everything you know what i mean <laughs> Recently, I did have a guitar made by Matt Hughes, which is uh, Banker guitars. I don't know if you guys know about those. No. Banker is kind of a Gibson concept shop out of uh, Atlanta. He makes guitars for Brent Hines and uh, Bill Kelleher from Mastodon. Oh. I had him make this thing he calls the Iron Man. For lack of a better term, it's a less G. We did some stuff with the Foo Fighters and Pat Smear was playing what I found out was a Robin artisan. So in the 80s, the Robin company that was actually out of Texas. Dallas, right? Yeah. They made a thing that looked like an exact mix between a Les Paul and an SG. So it was an SG shape, but kind of Les Paul in property. Yeah. They only made 250 of them in the eighties. And again, they're called the Robin Artisan. So if anybody's listening to this, Google that because it's the coolest guitar in the world. <laughs> I actually tracked one down, got it on eBay, and I took that to Banker to see if it's something he could make. My idea was to have them double binded, you know, the diamond on the headstock block inlays, sort of like a Les Paul Custom in its aesthetic. So he made it for me and it's kind of the best guitar I've ever played in my life. Wow.
0: Well, what we've got here is a Les Paul Custom. This is a Silverburst limited edition run designed by Uncle Frank over there at Thunder Road Guitars.
1: Oh, wow. Oh, thunderroadguitars.com. Yeah,
0: that's them. He loaned us this. He took roughly the specs from a 59. Okay. The neck is a little beefier. Yep. It's got multiple coats of antique finish on it, so it's already starting to yellow. Yeah. Oh, wow. And the pickups themselves are actually low output PAFs from a 50s design. Then they overwind them to bring some of
1: that output back. Top of dome Frank style. I want this
0: yeah and then the headstock on the back has a black stinger oh wow frank's a big fan of those i love the stinger if you want to rip a head off and go into that bridge yeah and then if you want to see what happens if you're all bassy (laughs) wonderful What do you know about the Silverburst, Zach?
2: You know, it's funny you should ask because I actually want to get another one of these Spanker guitars. The next one I want to get in Silverburst. I just think it's the coolest color in the world. Yeah. When I was a kid... I got one, and like an idiot, I got rid of it. They weren't sought after. Right. I got it because it was so cheap. The guy was like, nobody wants those guitars. <laughs> Everyone thinks they're ugly.
0: The guy in your band's got one that's 78. That's the first year Gibson did the Silverburst. Yeah. Here's a fun game we like to play. Yeah. If you wanted to go back in your time machine to 1978 and rebuy that Silverburst, what are you paying for that in 1978 dollars, Zach?
2: Hmm. hmm. I'm going to go what I would think is low, like uh, 375 bucks.
1: What do you think, uh, Ed? I think you're high. You think he's high? I think so. <laughs> I'm going to say $239. In
0: 1978, it was $799. Oh. Oh, wow. In today dollars, holy crap, that's 3,400
2: bucks. Which is about right. I mean, that makes sense.
0: And you know what's horrible about that? That's without the case. Wow. The case in 78 was a hundred bucks. Yeah. In today dollars, that's like $450 for a case.
2: Yeah. But you know, I've always remembered cases being around a hundred dollars. Exactly. No matter what economically was going on in the world at the time, the case has always been about a (laughs) hundred bucks. Yeah, for sure.
0: Well, you know, Gibson doesn't keep production records as regards color, but they estimate in that initial run of Silverburst, they made maybe like 150
1: to 200. Oh, geez. They made
0: them till 82, four years, 200. That's
1: it. Wow. Gibson in that Norlin era did so much stuff that was just divisive. People either loved it or hated it. And I think the big block of people leaned into the hate it camp. They had very few breakout hits from that period. Right?
0: I guess time heals all wounds. <laughs> People in the now times tend to regard all that stuff more fondly.
1: I'm a huge fan of The Paul. <laughs> yeah, I like that too. You gravitated to The less Paul younger, right?
2: I did. I kind of went to SG's first. Because I was smaller, you know, it was a little closer to my body. And my band, Hackfish, when I was a kid, we got signed to a major label and we did all that stuff in the early 90s. And I bought a 76SG, which I still have. It's gotten refinished and all this crazy stuff, but I still have it. And then I started in with Les Pauls. I've kind of gone back and forth between standards and customs, and now I'm really kind of more custom-less, Paul. just feels like a grand piano, really. Yep, right. I kind of really am into aesthetics a little more than I should be. (laughs) (laughs) I just love the way they look. I love the way they sound. I love the way they play. I love the way they hang on my body. I feel like I play better shows when I have one, actually. That's not to say that I don't like and appreciate other types of guitars. It's just that is what works in our band, I believe.
0: I've got a question for you then. Yeah. This one comes from Uncle Frank at Thunder Road Guitars. Okay. What's your desert island guitar?
2: Eww, <laughs> man, that's such a hard question.
0: Is there electricity on this island?
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, the aforementioned Nash there from Seattle, amazing Nash guitars. I have their 63 straight up black Telecaster. Nothing special about it, but it's probably pound for pound the best guitar I have. You could set your watch to it. It's just such a great guitar. But as far as sitting around and playing a guitar, I think maybe the 76SG that I just mentioned. But God, I got to say this banker that I just had made, he got everything right. It's the first guitar I've ever had built to my specs. That might push it out of the water. So it might be the new banker that I just had made. Oh yeah. It's always the newest one. Absolutely.
1: I just had a Baranek made, and that guitar is kind of all I play these days. Not that Frank was asking me. Frank doesn't give a shit what my desert guitar is.
0: No, he doesn't care. He wanted to hear from Zach.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We were an island for pretty much the entire pandemic. Found out the bridge had cracks in it. Oh, my God. There was sort of no leaving the West Seattle neighborhood. Wow. I guess you don't get too many bridge cracks down there in uh, Austin.
2: <laughs> no, you just get ridiculous weather and racism and uh, people that have really interesting voting practices. I'd rather have bridge cracks, to be quite honest.
1: Recently, someone gave some review. It was something like, these guys are basically communists, was that the <laughs> review? <laughs> Really? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I very seriously hope that's a compliment.
2: I would take it as a compliment. Exactly. It's funny how these guitar forums, you know, the Les Paul Forum and all these other things, how quickly they devolve into like almost QAnon conspiracy level (laughs) bullshit. Yeah. These guys that like are obviously into rock and roll because they're talking about these rock and roll guitars and they're talking about their favorite bands. It'll go from like Pink Floyd to some crazy conspiracy that actors and Hollywood, or eating children, or whatever
1: the cell towers are fucking mind controlling you.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> Weren't we talking about Seymour Duncan pickups? I thought Austin was the liberal place. It is. If you're born and raised in Texas like I am, I am from a shitty, terrible little shit splat, <laughs> awful, conservative, racist Republican town. Sherman, Texas, that is. Sherman, Texas. It's awful. <laughs> If you're born and raised there and you're a weirdo like I am and you got your ass kicked all your life like I did and you struggled, you get to live in Austin, right? So at one point, everyone that was coming for South by Southwest and stuff, they were moving here because it's great. Yeah. No one I was meeting was actually from even Texas, much less Austin. It was really pissing me off. But now these people that are moving here for all the tech because, you know, Samsung is moving here and Tesla and all these other people are turning our voting. I don't think it's going to turn Texas blue, but it is affecting our voting. So now I don't have anything to rally against. I don't have anything to shake my fist at.
0: <laughs> Keep moving here. Growing up there in awful Sherman, Texas, <laughs> did you ever run across Bess Flowers? No. <laughs> Born and raised in Sherman, Texas, she was known as the queen of the Hollywood extras. Oh, really? Yeah. She appeared in over 350 films. Really? And she holds the record for appearing in the most Best Picture-nominated films.
2: (laughs) Whoa. She's from
1: Sherman.
0: She's from Sherman.
1: What era is this?
0: Well, she was born in 1898. We lost her in
2: 1984. Oh. Yeah, you didn't
1: know her, Zach? Come on. (laughs) No, I did
2: not. (laughs) You know, Buck Owens is from Sherman, Texas. Oh, I did not know that. Uh, There's some people that are from there, but it's a terrible place.
1: I have historically on this show been a little down on the Les Paul. Yeah. Every Les Paul I've played, I just play it for a little while and it's like, God, this thing's so heavy. 90% of my problem is just the weight of the guitar and the way it sits. Yeah. Sell me on it. What's my problem? (laughs) New segment. Yeah. What's Ed's problem? What's my fucking problem, man?
2: (laughs) You have to work it. You know what I mean? It doesn't play itself. And I think I like that challenge. And I also feel like I've been playing them so long that my phrasing and my style and the way I just touch a guitar, it's sort of predicated on the shape of the West Paul. That makes sense. Plus, you know, aesthetically speaking, there's just something so tough about them. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you're going to play a guitar like a rock and roll player and play it low, to me, it's just a Gibson guitar. Yeah. There's just something so aesthetically pleasing about that if you're playing rock and roll guitar.
0: I think we're getting closer to the core of the problem, Ed. Yeah. You
1: are not tough. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's well established.
2: It's a band specific thing. You know, in Guar, I played what I called go fast guitars. I played whatever we got for free, to be frank about it, because they just got gross and disgusting. But there's been bands where I've played Fender guitars. You know, I started a band called the Draculas at one point with my best friends here in Austin. And I only played the Nash Telecasters.
0: Tell me about this new album from Rise Against.
2: It's weird because we did it before pandemic. So we started, I believe, in January of 2020. I was the last one in and finished backing vocals like the first week of lockdown. Wow. I drove to Fort Collins, Colorado with Bill Stevenson from uh, Black Flag Descendants All, who produces our records. I drove like 14 hours up there to do the vocals. So it just feels like a lifetime ago that we did it, you know? our normal sort of tour cycle has gotten interrupted. We started in the summer of 2021 and then we went home and just did some festivals. Usually we just start and then we just keep going. But we didn't actually get back on tour until March of this year. And this year has been really busy. We did 10 weeks over the summer. We did five weeks in Europe and then five weeks in the States. And now we're going back to Europe for another three, three and a half weeks in November. It's been a long, long process for us. It's been a very different way of doing things, but it's been super rewarding and just amazing to get back out and do what we do. You know, this is the longest of any of our adult lives that we've actually been home. Did you do recording or writing during the downtime at all? I did. I sort of wrote nonstop. Thankfully, with the wonder that is Logic and GarageBand, you can just make a song. Yep. Yeah. But I also enrolled in Berkeley music courses. I did that the whole time just to keep myself busy and to try to learn something new. And I took their advanced blues program. Wow. Because being from Texas, I always grew up with like Texas Blues and ZZ Top and the Vaughn Brothers. And being here in Austin, a lot of my closest friends were blues musicians, guys that were like, you know, we'd be out to eat dinner or something. And they'd be like, oh, shit, I got a gig. And they'd bail. Or they'd get called to go sit in with whoever. That was always so impressive to me and so different than how I've always made a living what I've always done. With me, it's always been punk or metal. You know, your tour is coming up, you pack a bag and you go out for six weeks and come home. These guys were just playing every night with a group of dudes they didn't even know, yeah. barely. These guys, my friends, would ask me to come up and be like, hey, sit in with us, you know. I probably could have, but I never felt confident enough, you know. Over the pandemic, I was like, you know what, I'm going to challenge that fear. And I just went head on into their advanced blues program just to see if I could do it. And I got my certificate, which is so dumb, but I'm so proud of it, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: How did it differ from what you thought it was going to be going into it?
2: It was really strenuous because you have to film yourself one taking this lesson every week. Oh yeah, from your phone and send that to him, and that's your lesson plan. It'll be like, okay, this week you're studying Freddie King, so here is a Freddie King song. Do two choruses note for note, and then take another chorus in his style. Whoa! And you know that's like the first week, <laughs> so I was in over my head. And then one of the classes you take and the program was acoustic blues. A lot of it slide, a lot of it finger picking. I haven't really ever felt very confident with my finger picking. It threw you off the deep end like, well, motherfucker, you better be pretty good at it or you're going to flunk. Yeah. It was just insanely rewarding and I loved it.
0: Were you able to right away then leverage some of that into the stuff you do more regularly or are you still kind of percolating with it?
2: It is funny. I sort of noticed recently how much I finger pit now on stage with just Rise Against. Like it's just in my vernacular now. Huh. I never did that before. But now I'm just like, oh shit. I just played that whole pass with my ring finger and my pinky. And I never would have done that before.
1: And it still sounds like you.
2: Yeah. I have a very odd phrasing with my right hand that I sort of picked up a long time ago. And then just being able to add finger picking as well, it's really opened up a lot of new dimensions. And that's what makes guitar playing great, right? We're always learning and we're always figuring out something else. Absolutely.
0: Hey, Ed. Yeah. You want to hear some of this Rise Against? Lay it on me. Okay. Off the latest Rise Against EP entitled Nowhere Generation 2, this is Pain Management. awesome. (laughs)
1: Uh, (laughs) That's what you were doing the day before the pandemic started.
2: I think actually singing backing vocals on that particular song. Oh. You know, that was the week. So it was like March 23rd or 4th after the shutdown. I drove back up to Fort Collins, Colorado to finish. (sighs) We didn't even interface. You know, I just went into the vocal booth and he was through the window, the glass. Yeah.
0: I know that drive coming down from Fort Collins. Mm -hmm. It looks like something out of The Stand.
2: Yeah, it does. It fully does. It was wholly depressing. I drove up there, did backing vocals all day, stayed in an Airbnb that night, and drove back to Austin the next day.
1: There's no good timing for that. Yeah. Everyone had plans, right? Like, oh, we're going to tour. No, you're not. Oh, we're going to be in the studio. No, you're not going to be in the studio. Yeah. You're going to be at home.
2: Yeah.
0: Were you guys in multiple different remote studios? You were in Fort Collins, or did everybody at one point? show up in fort collins to do their parts
2: we all went to fort collins yeah Whew. yeah
1: one of the ways we sort of connected through is our good friend joe our sonic overlord over there at <laughs> ruinous media
2: yep
0: that's right our viewers know that we are part of the ruinous media network of music related podcasts absolutely <laughs> so is zach anti-heroes yeah Anti-heroes. Tell us about that.
2: Well, I had done Joe's Tour Stories podcast, and we got to talking, and we really hit it off. And he knew that I had done a podcast with one of my best friends here in Austin. A guy named Mike Wiebe, who is the singer for the band The Riverboat Gamblers, and the band that him and I started together, The Draculas. He's a stand-up comedian. He's an actor. He's just this really great guy. We had started a podcast called Zach and Mike Make Three, where we basically just talk shit. And he liked it and asked if there was something I would like to do with him, you know, with Ruinous. And I pitched the idea of guitar players that don't get as much guitar press as they should. Yeah, I've been subscribing to Guitar World magazine since I was a kid. It's usually the same people. It's the same guitar players and that's okay. But there's so many people and so many wonderful players that are bringing so many wonderful things to the conversation that aren't getting recognition, and they're doing it anyway. And I wanted to shine some light on some of those folks. I think people that hear that pitch would think that it's going to be a certain type of guitar player, maybe all punk rock guys or whatever. And there are some of those for sure, but I have John Schmerzel from Brainiac. I have uh, Dan Gallucci from Modest Mouse. Jessica Dobson. Jessica Dobson from right there in Seattle. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. But also heavier, you know, like Buzz Osborne from the Melvins, Michael Dirks from Guar, and some other very, very known guitar players as well that I feel like maybe even those guys aren't getting enough recognition as a guitar player. That's really the only precursor. Maybe their band is huge, but they personally aren't getting enough praise and recognition, and I feel like giving that to them. You know, we just finished our first season, wrapped that up. It's been really just this year that we've been working on it. There's
1: gear talk and there's songwriting talk. Yeah. It's kind of wherever it goes, you don't have your eight questions that are like, okay, this is what we're going to talk about.
2: I started out with that like the earlier episodes, but then I realized I just wanted it to be more conversational. Yeah. My own conversations with musicians go all over the place, so this maybe should as well.
0: Right. We've been really enjoying listening to them and comparing notes. Welcome to the club.
2: Thank you guys so much.
1: Uh, I think we did a great job, John.
0: Well, it's not up to us. I think you did, too. Are you sure? Are you sure Ed did a good job?
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you guys did awesome. (laughs)
1: You you did okay, Ed. I need a little bit of validation
0: (laughs) at
2: the end.
1: Otherwise, I'm just, like, beating myself up all night.
2: I don't blame you.
0: We have to... Definitely thank you, Zach Blair from Rise Against and various other things like Guar and Anti-Heroes Podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for coming, and we'll see you when we see you, huh?
2: Yeah, we'll talk to you guys soon, and I'll look forward to meeting you someday. Thanks okay, a lot. Okay, cool. Uh, where can people find out more about us,
0: Ed?
1: Uh, the Ruinous Media Network. Of music-related podcasts? <laughs> yes. Instagram.
0: Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Yeah. Of course, thehighgain.com. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, bye. All right, bye.